there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to Giant. Football stories that matter, told by the people who were there. A Spotify original in association with Mundial. I'm Owen Blackhurst. Enjoy. So by the time the Norwegians thought that they would just like walk through the door and go, right, we're off to Milton Keynes. That's Mark Jones. You're going to hear a lot from Mark. It was like picking a fight with a Viet Cong. It's like, look, we've already sent the French on their way with a set of sore bollocks. If you want some, we'll meet you in the jungle. Bring your planes, bring your tanks, bring your napalm. You know, we got punchy spikes and we got tunnels. You know, we were ready. We were kind of armed and dangerous, ready uh, to go hand to hand with them. It's March the 23rd, 2019, and we're at King's Meadow, home of AFC Wimbledon. You can hear their fans there. We're here to watch them lose 4-2 against Gillingham. They are mired in a relegation battle, one they will miraculously survive. But after what this club has been through, relegation battles are nothing. This is a club that simply should not exist. And as you're gonna find out, they did go hand to hand. And protest to protest, and tooth to fucking nail. This is the story of a club that was killed and got straight back up. A club and a fan base that took one long look at their oppressors and said, we are not having that. A gang that people expected to go quietly a gang who cranked the volume up to 11 and blew the back out of the bloody speakers. So, grab something tasty to drink and get your ears around the story of Wimbledon FC and AFC Wimbledon. The story of the people who fought to make sure that the two parts remained as one. This is the story of the real Dons. This is the return to Plough Lane. Dying seconds of stoppage time. Referee wants the ball back. Back it goes. Brennan and Harvey over the ball on the edge of the area. Taken by Brennan. Goes through. Oh, and it's saved away to his left by the keeper. Come back in. We're in the bar at the King's Meadow. Pints have been drunk. There are players from the 70s and 80s and 90s and noughties, all milling about. The air is thick with a love for the club. The original Wimbledon FC, formed in 1889, were a non-league powerhouse who stormed through the leagues in the early 80s and ended up in the first division in 1986. They played at Plough Lane in Merton. And before we go back there, Let's find out what it was like. My name's Stuart Castledine. I've been intrinsically linked to Wimbledon from the age of 10 until, until now. Stuart Castledine is on the ale with us. 
Stewart signed as an apprentice in 1989. Plough Lane was a, a lovely old stadium. Obviously, it wasn't fit for purpose in, you know, in the new shiny era of the Premier League, but I've got lots of fond memories from playing there. And I mean, the, you know, the changing rooms were embarrassing. They were shocking. I mean, you know, the facilities were, were awful, but you know, I think that probably helped to sort of build the reputation of the crazy gang. And, you know, and in the early days, it, it really sort of put, put teams off from coming and we got some decent results. They got more than decent results. They continually upset the apple cup. They set fire to it. Stories of player initiations and the notoriety of Vinnie Jones and John Fashionu made them front and back page news. And in 1988, they beat Liverpool in the FA Cup final. The crazy gang had beaten the culture club. Mark Jones became a regular in the early 80s. There was something about when I went to play our lane that just, I think it sort of spoke to me, you know? And I don't know whether that happens to all football fans, but I think it happens to Wimbledon fans. I think it just, there's something about being, quote, shit, having, quote, a shit ground, being a team that no one else really wants to be a fan of. You know, it's that kind of like raggy ass Rovers thing, you know? There was a romance to it that spoke to me, and I was like, you know, we were the guys at the end of the table, like nicking the chicken legs to take home for the kids when everyone else was used to a free course meal. You know, we were literally in the first division looking at what knife and fork to use. Wimbledon had played at Plough Lane since 1912. But in 1991, with the Taylor report stating that stadiums must be all-seater by 1994, the Wimbledon chairman, Sam Hammam, announced the club were leaving. Here's Mark on how it went down. You know, no one really knew that it was going to happen. And then when it did, you just kind of had to fall in line with it. The worst bit about it is that however upset and distraught we were, there was still a bit of us that kind of thought, maybe we do have to leave Plough Lane. Maybe the Taylor Report is the reason. It was also sold to us as we'd have a window of opportunity at Sellers. It won't cost us a penny to develop the ground. We can spend all that money on the team. And then that's when we all fell for that massive trick that all football fans are get turned over full for. We will win football matches if we do this. Wimbledon moved into a ground share at Crystal Palace's Selhurst Park. It was meant to be temporary, but it lasted well over a decade. And Wimbledon continued to finish in the top half. Everyone we speak to tells us that it was miserable. No community, no sense of home. Go and have a read about Sam Hammam. It'll make your hair curl. But this is not his story. But this next bit is important because of what comes after. In 1996, after years of blaming Merton Council for the lack of a ground, Sam started putting it about that he wanted to move the club to Dublin. He wanted to call them the Dublin Dons. You could, you could then run around and go, we're starting a new club. This is Charlie Talbot. Charlie's a lifelong Wimbledon fan. He was the club's in-house journalist and he's done plenty more besides. So the Independent Sports Association had existed for a few years by that point, but it had been fairly dormant because people had got a bit resigned to being at Selhurst. And also because every so often Sam Hammam would make some noises about how Merton Council weren't being very helpful or he, he, he successfully obfuscated for quite a few years. Uh, and Mark and some other people had you know, been out for dinners with Sam Hammam where he you know, threatened to make them eat sheep's testicles and thump the table. And, and then the first rumours of, of Dublin were kind of the first point when you thought, oh, actually, maybe it isn't Merton Council's fault. So that was sort of the first time I then got involved and started going to, to meetings and met other people and there were organised protests and people stayed behind after games. And there was a Sam Hammam quote where someone said, when did you realise Dublin wouldn't work? And he said, when I saw 3,000 of you crazy fuckers hanging from the rafters which was the fact that most of the, the home end basically stayed behind after a game to say, you're not getting away with doing this. 
not for the first time, Sam Hammam was talking bollocks. The real reason was because FIFA vetoed the idea. A year later, he sold the club to a pair of filthy rich Norwegians. Here's Mark Jones again. Well, the main bit is the club was sold with Dublin still on the table. That is why the Norwegians bought the football club. They bought that business plan. What they didn't realise is that couldn't happen. I mean, that's how dim they were at the time. And Sam and has, has ultimately done the sort of like chase the ace card trick on them down Oxford Street, you know, like put your money down and then the guy around, runs around the corner with a table and the old bill turn up and they're standing there wondering where their wallet's gone. I mean, I don't know how he did it. I mean, you can vilify him, but he's a genius to that extent. 12 months later, Sam sold the old Plough Lane site to a supermarket chain. We're going to need to fast forward a bit here now. Wimbledon were relegated in 2000, 12 years to the day of the FA Cup final win. Then in 2001, the new chairman, Charles Koppel, announced the club were moving 56 miles away to Milton Keynes. Nobody thought it would happen, not in England, and the league refused permission. Then Koppel launched an appeal. The FA appointed a three-man commission and they incredibly voted 2-1 in favour. In favour of moving a football club away from its supporters, away from its home. Now, for a minute at least, it's time to talk about MK Dons. And then we're going to forget all about them. Uh, I'm Ben Adams. I've been supporting Wimbledon for 29 years. I've been going to Wimbledon for... Ben was only 12 years old when his dad told him the news. I knew what was going on, but I was trying to ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. And then he came into the kitchen one day when I was where we was living, just off of Hayden's Road, and he just said to me, it's done, mate, we're finished, it's done. And then I just remember crying my eyes out. Just crying my eyes out for, like, literally for, like, 10 hours. I was in pieces. It was the worst, worst day of my life. Worse than when some of my own family members died. The decision was announced on the 28th of May, 2002. 17 years to the day, and we're in the Fox and Grapes pub on Wimbledon Common. This pub is a huge part of the Wimbledon story. Back in the late 19th century, it was used as a changing room when the team played down here. It's where the players drank before the FA Cup final. And it's where we sat with Ben and Mark and Philo and Charlie, who was at university at the time. Yeah, I had my mobile phone with me and turned it on and had 57 messages and 20 missed calls. And then sat in an afternoon exam, which was uh, ludicrously a Greek translation exam, where they gave you a chunk of Aristotle and said, translate this, and uh, I really couldn't. And one of the many reasons why I couldn't was because I'd spent most of the previous year working on uh, a campaign to keep Wimbledon's football club. And I just remember kind of staring at the walls in the exam room thinking, I'm, I can't quite believe this has happened. This is Philo. Philo was on the PA at Selhurst Park in the 90s and has got some cracking stuff to share with us in a bit. It's worth the wait. I remember standing outside the FA when they came out and they actually announced that Milton Keynes dons, or that Wimbledon were going to Milton Keynes, should I say. They'd had their sort of council of idiots that decided that Milton Keynes could, you know, could be legitimate. And I turned to Mark and I'm like, shit, man, what the fuck are we going to do now? And he went, start a club, mate. I'm like, you what? He goes, yeah, yeah, we're going to start a club. Paperwork's already done. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you got my attention. Here's Mark again. Mark's our mate. Mark always underplays his role in everything. But ask anyone, and he's one of the main reasons that the club exists. But there's a bit of a kind of blurred history on where did that come from, whose idea it was. I don't think it matters. I think it was just a case of, in case of emergency, smash the glass and pull this plan out. So 
rather than kind of go, right, let's cry before everyone else starts crying and pass the razor blades and then hand them on, we were like, well, we'll do something about it. I can't let all those memories, not only have I got, but everybody's got, and all those former players, that can't just dissipate into the air and we become something else. You know, everybody is aware of the whole notion of franchising due to American sport. So you get the concept of there's a city or a town with something that matters to everybody and it just vaporises, pops up somewhere else with a similar crest and they go again. What happens to everybody who's left behind? You know, like, then what? So do we just stop talking about that? Where's the reverence for it? Where's the continuity for it? And that's kind of what I fought to preserve. It wasn't a protest movement. It was like, this is the only option. We've tried everything else. You know, we'll have to, st we'll have to start over. And starting over didn't mean we have to be successful. It just meant there has to be a Wimbledon football club. Because, by the way, most people who come along and watch that football club come along and watched it when it was shit and no-one cared about it. So guess what? It doesn't matter if it goes back to being, quote, a shit football side with no fans and a shit ground. That's what we had all along. So it was a very easy kind of pick it up and start it over again. All right, we might not play Man United next week, but it doesn't matter. We told you at the beginning they were not having it. No cry arsing, no moaning, just a simple cry of fuck off up the road. And then they got on with it. Ben Adams went to one of the early meetings when the new club was announced. And it just felt brilliant. It just felt like we was continuing Wimbledon, you know? It wasn't over. We were still gonna carry on being Wimbledon. It didn't matter to any of us if it was a rope around a pitch in the middle of nowhere, or if it was, you know, if we was back in the stadium. No one cared, we just wanted to watch Wimbledon. That was it, forever. So then, Mark, how do you start a new club? It was like, hello, is that the London FA? It's Wimbledon Football Club here. Well, what's left of it? How do we start again? You know, literally, what can we call the club? Can we be called FC Wimbledon or not? No, you can't, it's too, too much like the other one. Okay, hang on a minute, phone in the lap. We can't be called that, we'll have to be called something different. All right, uh, AFC Wimbledon to do. Can we have AFC Wimbledon? Yeah, that's all right. Year formed, phone in the lap again. Everyone looking at each other. Let's try 1889 when the Wimbledon Football Club was formed. 1889, and the guy just, just did a pen move, and you're like, yes. There's a post-it note knocking around somewhere. It might be lost forever, but it's like a shopping list. Corner flags, officials, first aid kit. They rallied around for everything. People used their different skills to get kit designed, accounts in place, and, unsurprisingly, given how they'd been shafted in the past, the club became fan-owned. I kind of got caught up with it all. This is Jane Lonsdale. Jane is a member of the Don's Trust board and Wimbledon is in her blood. And it was almost like there was so much momentum. We raised huge amounts of money at the time. We popped yeah. round Jane's house on a Saturday morning for a cuppa. We had no players, we had no kit, we had, we had nothing, literally nothing. And just a, a buzz about we were all fighting. Everybody was putting their hands in the pockets. We were all we were all given a figure, and I'm going to get the figure wrong, but I think it was like two thousand pounds or three thousand pounds. That if all of the fans that were interested put that amount of money in, then we would get enough money to get ourselves up and running. And people were increasing their mortgage to do that. And there was a share share sale, but it was the same for all fans. We did whatever we could because it was all about Wimbledon and and about having a football club 
that was ours, that we could follow, that wasn't franchised 70 miles up north. So the whole fan-owned bit came about almost by accident. I think we'd have been pretty content to have fan representation on the board. And Mark Jones reckons it simply saves a hell of a lot of aggro. Why do you want people holding up banners telling you to get out when all you've got to do is go in a pub and have a beer with them and give them your side of things and listen to their side of things and somehow it's all going to make sense and you're going to go forward together, you go up together, you go down together, whatever happens together, that we're not a protest movement, we're not against anything other than not having a football club. But now we've got it, I'd die for you to try and take, you know, I'd kill for you to try and take it off us. Because what it gives you is shared responsibility in everything that happens. We're, if we turn to shit, it's because we voted to turn to shit. Former player Stuart Castledine loves going to AFC. There's a real connection with the fans. Obviously, this club wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the fans. You know, and even back in the day when I was playing, there, I think there was a closer connection to the fans than there were at other clubs. I mean, uh, we, it was always a tight-knit community. We would always go for a beer with some of the fans after the game. And, you know, there's always been a real special connection. Everybody appreciates what they have done, and the club wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. AFC Wimbledon were ready to roll. But the AFC or the FC is not important. It's easy to see it as two clubs from the outside, but it's not. It's just Wimbledon. This was the biggest and most important thing that we learned. And with a club in place, they had to get a team. There's a great Guardian article by Will Buckley called A Club Is Born. It'll give you loads more meat, but the bones of it are this. They arranged open trials on Wimbledon Common. 230 people turned up. And six weeks after the FA decision, AFC Wimbledon travelled to Sutton United for a friendly. A man called Trigger played up front. 5,000 fans went. And Ben Adams was one of them. Yeah, that felt like a bit of a celebration. That was, that was brilliant. That was like everyone you'd been to Solos with, everyone that you'd been to, you know, football with, all, all my life was there. And we would, you know, it was an exciting time. It was like Wimbledon, you know, it weren't like we'd restarted. It was like we'd just said up yours to everyone, we're carrying on, you know. And it didn't really matter the quality of the football, the players, none of that mattered. It was blue and yellow kit and it was us and we were, we were back, you know. They lost. It didn't matter and they lost all but one of their 10 pre-season games. And that didn't matter either. There was a team in blue and yellow for the fans to follow. Originally, the club had tried to get into the Ryman Premier, the seventh tier of the English league structure. The Ryman wouldn't have it. So they ended up in the Combined Counties League, the ninth tier. Here's Jane Lonsdale, who remembers her husband coming home after a few beers. I remember the words coming out of my mouth saying, if you think I'm going standing around a field with a bit of string, you've got another thing coming. We've got a baby in a pushchair, and we've always done football as a family. So, and I was kind of like, you're not, no, this is not happening. Two weeks later, we stood on hay bales at Sandhurst Town, you know? And here's Mark, who sponsored the game. Of course he did. I rang him up and said, Hello, is that Sanders Town? I'd like to sponsor the game. And the guy was literally like, what does that mean? I'm like, well, I'd like to give you some money and have a better view of the game than anyone else. Well, you're not going to get that. We haven't got a stand, mate. It's like literally a pitch. OK, have you got a bar? Uh, not one that's open to fans and stuff. Well, where did the ball go at half-time? We've got a porter cabin. Is there a fridge in the porter cabin? Yeah, there's a fridge in the porter cabin. Can you put beer in the, in the fridge? Yeah. All right, I'll give you 400 quid if four of us can come in there. 
all right then. And we did. Oh, and can we give a bottle of champagne out to the man in the match? Sandhurst Town normally get about 50 fans turning up. 5-0. The 2,449 from that day remains their record attendance. Charlie Talbot was not there. So I, I think we were on the, the Mongolian steppe somewhere outside Ulan Bator in a, in a Gur tent. And my parents went to Sandhurst away and they phoned me so I could hear the whistle at the start of what was going to be our first competitive game. So I was listening on my phone in literally in outer Mongolia and my, my girlfriend was baffled by the entire... She hadn't really understood my obsession at any point. I think that was the point in which she thought I'd finally lost it. And when he returned from Mongolia, he thought at first he had lost it. And the first game, I just remember standing there, and I was just talking to Mark about this, and just watching the game going, I mean, A, this is rubbish, right? CCL football is, is rubbish. And I've not built up any affinity with these players having seen the trials or anything, and I've not gone to that kind of cathartic first Sutton game. I've just come in in the middle and gone, what, what the hell is this about? I remember thinking towards the end of that season, having a moment when you look around and you do realise that we, we built a football club. And I think people came to that realisation at slightly different points. I know other people didn't come for 10 years, even, and came back and, and suddenly realised that was the case. But there's, there's a moment when you look round and you realise that, you know, as we all know as football fans, that, that level of desire just to win this game or just to want your, you know, your team to get through was, was exactly the same, even if it was Hartley, Whitney and Cove. And two years ago it had been Man United and Liverpool. It would be weird, wouldn't it? to go from the Anfield Road end to some hay bales at a place called Bottom Meadow. Wimbledon finished third in that first season. They had 32 players turn out for them. And the next season, they won the League and Cup double and followed that up with another double to end up in the Ryman Premier. That's two promotions in three seasons. Start counting. But despite the weirdness, it was an important time. Here's Jane. I can categorically say hands on heart, I would not change it because we have learnt so much as a club and as individuals about grassroots, proper football. Forget all the money. It's about people helping their local community club provide something in their community and people single-handedly doing stuff for their club, whether it's running the tea bar printing a programme, standing on the street selling raffle tickets, whatever it is for their club and their community. Despite not knowing what to expect down in those leagues, Mark fell in love with a lot of it. We were going places where like, the chairman was walking around handing out cheese rolls for a quid and thanking us, walking around, shaking the hands of fans, saying, you've paid for our youth team for five years. You, know, you can't not be touched by stuff like that if you care about the sport. You know, forget those guys on the pitch and all that. You know, the bits that matter is when you see Doris in the tea bar who's worked there 50 years selling 50 pence cups of tea to people to keep the youth team going. You know, so we kind of went back to our roots in being a non-league team but got a different take of just going to those grounds and walking away from them. We saw people doing stuff, which I think lives with people who saw it, and that's why you get 60 people turn up and trim the bushes at King's Meadow in the summer, you know, because it's kind of like something's... Something's changed about how we view football and what matters about it. We were just like so welcome everywhere and we went, most places we went and we behaved. And the one thing we never did was take the piss and look down on those clubs. We never went there billy big bollocks. It wasn't like, we're Wimbledon, this is just a one, a temporary stay, we'll never play you again. The Dons were averaging around 3,000 a home game and Philo started a radio station to have a laugh 
and keep the fans who couldn't be there updated. They called it W-D-O-N. Why wouldn't they? This is the big one. The clash of the titans. The top of the table tussle as the Dons prepare to do battle with the mighty. Second placed AFC Wallingford. Wednesday, the 10th of March, kickoff 7:45 p.m. CCL history shows honours even with one home victory each last season. It's strictly no room for tractors. Wednesday, the 10th. And Mark was just pure poetry. I mean, I think I've got some, I've got some recordings, <laughs> legendary recordings of Mark talking about. Mark, what was that game where you, where where they, where where we Steve Butler scored at the last gasp, and you came out with an absolute perler? Like an asthmatic lottery winner in a brothel. Well, Mike, like an asthmatic lottery winner spending a full 24 hours in a brothel. Kings Meadow, absolutely breathless. I rest my case, my lad. <laughs> we had like listeners in Peru in weird Pacific islands. There were hardcore dons everywhere and they were re- like, they really were grateful for that service because they felt like they were part of it, they felt like they were there, you know. And that, in essence, is what it's all about. It's belonging, you know. Wherever you are, you might be in Peru or you might be in, in the Himalayas, but you feel like you're right there at home with your people. And the award for the weirdest place they broadcasted from goes to... I think we ended up on top of a toilet block at Walton Casuals, underneath some sort of temporary structure to keep the rain off. And we ended up in deck chairs talking to one of our players that had been sent off for headbutting while the match was going on. Yeah, stuff like that. I mean, you know, you just don't get that anywhere else. Philo has DJed on Kiss and Jazz FM. And loads of places more. Here's that special stuff we promised. You do not get this in Milton Keynes. Occasionally you kind of like work an opportunity and um, I'm not interested in people giving me jingles for the radio, but I am interested in things like Lionel Richie giving me a jingle to play on the AFC Wimbledon PA. Hi, this is Lionel Richie and I'm once, twice, three times a Womble. Can you believe they gave this to me? With AFC Wimbledon. I've even had Luther Vandross give me a jingle when he came in one, one morning for Wimbledon FC. Yo, what's up? This is Batman Scoop. I'm here in the stadium holding it down with the Dodge, baby. AFC Wimbledon. Batman Scoop. Wimbledon. Batman Scoop. But my piece de resistance has got to be Fat Man Scoop giving me a complete dub plate um, and shouting about Wimbledon through, through the whole thing. AFC Wimbledon. AFC Wimbledon. We've heard from the fans about the rise and the spirit and the 80s soul legends. But what about the players? Left-back Mickey Haswell was an apprentice and ball boy at Wimbledon back in those Sellers Park days. By 2006, he'd played against AFC for Chelmsford. Mickey liked what he saw. The moment I got the call, uh, there was no hesitation. For me, the moment that I walked in that ground, having the affiliation that I had as a school kid, seeing the ground, seeing the pitch, but ultimately, the affiliation and the feeling of playing in front of a group of fans, so passionate, so strong-willed about their club, having gone through what we've gone through, that was a huge attraction. And every single week, every single Tuesday, you are playing in a cup final. It's that team's cup final. So when you've got that profile resting on your shoulders, everybody wants to beat you. Uh, And whether that's CCL, Ryman Prem, Conference, 
uh, and, and even you know where we are now. Everybody wants to beat Wimbledon. Mickey joined in the second season in the Ryman Prem. They finished fourth and fifth, losing in two playoff semi-finals. Then, in the third season, they finished third and beat Staines in the playoff final. Staines penalty area. Keeper James Courtney has gone for the ball. Oh, he's dropped it. And McDonald has squared the ball for Lewis Cumbers. And eight minutes from time, the Dons are back on level terms. It's one. I, th- I think there's a, there's a real kind of sliding doors moment there where um, that, that Staines playoff win is arguably the most pivotal of all, of all of our kind of great last day or great dramatic games. Here's Charlie Talbot. Here goes Dimola. He struck it well. Oh, he struck it very well indeed. It's 2-1 to the Dons. What a remarkable turnaround in the last three minutes here at Wheatsheet Park. And there goes the final whistle. It's bitter disappointment for Staines Town, but AFC Wimbledon are promoted and will start next season in the Blue Square Conference South. If we hadn't won that, that that's a, a massive sliding doors moment. We probably would have got out of the Roman Premier, but another year or possibly two years in it would have really stagnated all the growth and in fact because of how flat the league structure was in those days because the Conference South was still quite new we blasted straight through the Conference South as champions and suddenly you're in the Conference National and that looks like real football to everyone and our gates went up and there was definitely a moment at which there were a few people who'd been wavering because they were a bit like I don't I don't do non-league you know I I support the idea in principle but I'm not actually spending my my weekends watching that. Keep up that's four promotions in seven seasons they're now in the fifth tier in their second season, they again made the playoff final. Here's Charlie again. The Luton playoff final was an interesting one. I think it felt like a bit of a free shot for us, whereas it was massive for them. What I do remember thinking quite quickly, probably an hour after it, was that we will never be non-league again because we're big enough, we're not going to drop out of the league. And yeah, I'm not sure to say it was relief. I think it was celebration and it was disbelief because we'd had a meeting about a year or so after we'd started, restarted, and we had to put some stated aims down and one of them was we're going to get back in the league inside 10 years and there was a big debate in the meeting and I was one of the people that said we shouldn't write that down because it's ridiculous because we're not going to do it and we'll look stupid you know we should put something more realistic down and obviously as the song says it only took nine years five promotions Jesus wept from post-it notes and phone calls to being back in the football league in nine seasons but Mark and many others weren't finished there. We win with them, mate. That's what we do. We go places like that, we win. But the bit for me about getting back in the league was a lot of people spoke about, that's it. Now, you know, cast a movie, roll the credits. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, we need player lane in here. It's a principle. We should have a big stick stuck in the ground that says we belong in Wimbledon. And everything should revolve around that. One of the club's stated aims in 2002 was to get the football club back to Merton, back to Wimbledon. In 2013, the Bring the Dons Home campaign was launched as a co-bid with Galliard Homes. The site was the now-closed Wimbledon dog track, on Plough Lane, only a booted clearance from the old ground. Mark Jones again. So the site was owned by someone who wanted to build flats there, the council had said, you can't put flats there unless you put something for sports intensification. Council, Merton Council were vilified by Sam and Mam, who famously divorced them because they wouldn't build them a stadium for free. But the council never really left our side. Charlie ran the campaign. By that point, obviously, top-level support from the council. There was buy-in from 
a mayoral level. The club had been written into the, uh, the planning framework, uh, but obviously any planning application still has to go through a planning committee. There was always likely to be some objections from locals, particularly locals who'd moved to the area in the last 15 years, who had long since forgotten the borough ever had a football club. Jane Lonsdale was out meeting the public in the run-up to the planning meeting. They'd asked me to do a presentation to a group of people. This lady came up to me and she said, I don't want football fans here. They're all hooligans, they carry knives, they urinate in my garden, they, they drop litter everywhere. It's just horrific. And I got quite affronted by that because I, I was taking my children to football weekly. And I said to her, hang on a minute, I have never, ever seen a knife at football anywhere where I travel home and away. And I was getting quite angry at this affront. Um, and luckily, um, one of the other guys stepped in and said, all right, Jane, enough. And then she was at the meeting in Merton. It was just phenomenal. And it was lots and lots and lots of years of hard work, most of it unnoticed, most of it not really referenced anywhere. We had been told years and years previous to that that there was no site, there was nowhere that it could be. Um, we had gone to them with this proposal years and years before that and been told, no, it's not possible. With Wimbledon, never say never. Don't ever write us off for whatever it is because it, it can happen and it, and it will happen and we're now potentially a year away from playing back in Plough Lane. After 24 years of playing away from home every week, the verdict was unanimous. Then Boris Johnson called the application back in for no apparent reason. Let's just leave him out of it. In between the two decisions, and after four seasons finishing in the bottom half of League Two, Wimbledon won again in the playoffs. They beat Plymouth at Wembley in May 2016 in front of 57,000 people. That's six in 13. We told you to keep up. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it? We haven't had time to talk about the hundreds of players or scorelines that have happened on this journey, but we do need to talk about the Youth Academy. It's also pretty special. Meet Robbo. My name's Mark Robinson. I'm the Academy Head of Football. We went to meet Robbo at the training ground in southwest London. Robbo originally started volunteering coaching an under-9s team in the season the club beat Staines. I just fell in love with the club. It was everything that the club I supported as a kid had lost and everything that I got told by my dad when I used to go to football, this is what football's about, son. And, uh, and I just always remember they sung the, the song, Take My Hand, you know, the Elvis song. Um, I can't help falling in love with you. And that was it, just had goosebumps all over and just thought, I want to I wanna do something special here, I want to make a difference. You could do an hour show on Robbo, easy. He's a brilliant bloke, massively inspirational. After success with his age group, he was asked to restructure the setup from under 18s down. We're, we're very good in selling what we do and maybe our lack of facilities because, you know, we think it makes our players hard and it makes them robust and resilient. So I don't think we need to have inside domes um, to produce top players. So, you know, we, we want to produce players that can take the football club as far as it possibly can. 30 years after he signed as an apprentice, Stuart Castledine sees this firsthand. His son is in the academy. Robbo's a, he is such a passionate 
coach and I think that his passion uh, filters through to the lads. I mean, everybody buys into the history and the heritage of, of AFC Wimbledon and, and of, of old Wimbledon. The, the kids want to play for this club. They, they, they do feel a sense of pride. Not only are they the lads here being given you know, life lessons by you know, great coaches, but they're also, I think, is there a clearer career path towards becoming a first-team footballer than you might get at other academies? You know, they've, they've got a chance to be footballers. What more can you want? Robbo brings in different mentors to talk to the lads. He lets them run their own games entirely a couple of times a season. He had them all camping at the training ground for a week in pre-season. You can see the pride when he talks about how the under-18s and 16s are at the ground on a match day. They've all got different jobs. And it's not to make a man out of them or any of that. It's to help them prepare for life, to be self-managing athletes. And for a club set up like Wimbledon, the academy is vital. We're not going to be buying players or, you know, or not players for, for a big amount of money. So it's so key that we produce top quality players. Yeah, and we've got to be looking to produce championship players to keep looking to take us to the next level. The fans love it and, and it's that bond and I believe you get another 20% out of a homegrown player. What is the limit? Robbo's ambitious. In fact, when we were putting this together, he's now got a bigger role at the club. I want to be at a club that believes they can get back to the Premier League, but I also want to believe that we can do it and we can keep our soul and we can keep what we're all about. I'm sure if you stopped the under-18 boys now and, you know, they would say to you, I want, I want to be leading the, the team out of the new stadium. You know, there will certainly be players that are thinking like that, 100%, 100%. And it's great, it's just another part of the story. There are loads of parts. We have missed loads of stuff. Like them playing MK Dons plenty of times and now being above them in the league structure and how that club officially renounced its claim to Wimbledon's history in 2007. We've missed loads. We can't talk about it all. But one more part, a very big part, is Wally Downs. In December last year, with Wimbledon right in the shit, Wally Downs took over from ex-player Neil Ardley who had been in charge for six years. Wally Downs was Wimbledon's first ever apprentice. He scored on his league debut aged 17, and he was there for the first rise to the top. Here's Mark Jones. You know, you're talking about when I went to my first game, those guys were there. You know, and you talk to anyone around the club, people will talk to you about Wally Downs as a 17-year-old telling someone who's played 600 times at the club where to stand at a corner. That guy was destined to be something to do with Wimbledon. You know, we've tried the, we tried 90s Wimbledon with Neil and it felt very nice, but have a little bang on 80s Wimbledon. It's, a, it's not quite an acquired taste, mate. It's, it's a head rush straight away. It's mental. The first ever Wimbledon apprentice as manager when we go back to Blair Lane. Oh, come on. After Wally took over, Wimbledon got 36 points from their final 26 games and stayed up on the last day of the season. It's just what they do. Because of Boris, Wimbledon will not be back at Plough Lane for the beginning of next season. But as we were writing this, Mark Jones retweeted the Don's Trust. Stadium update. Fans passing the new stadium site over the coming weeks may notice machinery entering the site. We are coming home. We'll let them tell you exactly what that means. Here's Mickey Haswell again. You know, we go back 15, 20, 25 years where the club's gone through the disastrous time that it has gone through. It will epitomise the hard work, dedication and the family that is Wimbledon to get back to 
where we belong. For a lot of people, it'll be an emotional day and I'll probably be one of those. <laughs> Charlie Talbot still can't believe it. I have to admit, I wasn't sure this was actually doable. Uh, and it is the, the final piece of that continuity. And one of the great joys of everything we've done since is, for example, a lot of the players from the 70s, from our first non-league era, have been very involved since the beginning and they'd been kind of discarded and ignored by the Premier League team because they didn't, you know, they had a crazy grand brand and Vinny and Fash. But a lot of those players have been back down watching for a while. A lot of then, obviously, the players from, from the 80s are now even more on board than they have been with, with Wally and other people. So you, you'll see that lineage of, of players who've got their home back. I think that's going to feel quite, a, quite an overpowering moment because the football club is supposed to be the constant uh, that's there and each individual can, can drop in and out of being there. Ben Adams is going to go to his first ever home game. I always felt connected to Plough Lane anyway. I never felt like I've been going to football for 20, you know, 25, 27 years and I've never seen a home game, ever. I've always been playing in someone else's town, in someone else's ground. It's an absolute killer, like it's horrible, but finally, you know, we I get to go to my first ever home game that I see as a home game, you know what I mean? Rather than having to travel to these other towns to go and see my own football team. And then what have you got planned for that first game? I'm gonna go absolutely mental. I'm gonna walk down Aidens Road. And that's it. I'm gonna have a beer all the way down it and I'm gonna go absolutely mental and probably cry my eyes out. Jane Lonsdale is going to soak it all in. It's almost like I'm a five-year-old that's excited for Christmas. You know, what, what is it about it? And it's all of the people going wearing the same colours, going in the same direction. And you see the, the stanchions and the floodlights and the smells and the noise. And it's, it's all of that, but kind of magnified a hundred thousand times because it's your home and you've not seen your home before. And here's Philo. Do you know what? It's the, it's the club with the greatest story in the world, I think. I mean, I, as I went to the non-league Wimbledon, we got promoted to the Football League, right to the top, won the FA Cup, uh, the crazy gang, all of that. Came all the way down to Sandhurst Town again, started at the very bottom, came all the way up to the Football League again. And as we started with him, we'll let Mark finish. Once you get your head around Wimbledon Football Club and what we're about and what we did, AFC Wimbledon then makes sense. It's like, of course you started again. Of course you stuck together. Of course you did that. Of course you're going back to play lane. Of course they are. AFC Wimbledon is a special club because it's just Wimbledon. Not the crazy gang or a protest or even a phoenix. It is all of those things, but it's mainly a football club. A football club that refused to die one that linked arms over the barbed wire and dragged its previous life to meet its current one and joined both at the seams to create one whole part. Up the Dons, up the bloody Dons. Giant is a Spotify original in association with Mundial. The Return to Play Lane was created by me, Owen Blackhurst, and Seb White. Executively produced and edited by Tayo Papula. Original music by Harry Harris. Additional production by Harry Dunford, Tom Glasser, and Joel Grove. Research and transcription by Max Freeman Mills and Andrew Martin. Thanks to everyone we met at AFC Wimbledon, from the bar staff to the press office. 
and special thanks to Stuart, Mickey, Charlie, Philo, Jane, Ben, Robbo, and Mark for sharing their stories with us. Thank you for listening to Giant. New episodes drop every Thursday, exclusively on Spotify. If you've enjoyed Giant, why not check out Football Legends on Spotify? Each episode takes a story from a footballer's autobiography and gloriously dissects it, and it is right up your street. Search for Football Legends on Spotify now.